In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the midst of one of the densest paragraphs he ever wrote, the Apostle Paul drops perhaps the most revealing words he ever wrote. Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Paul's entire perspective on life, on the world, and on us lies right here in these words. Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. In sum, Paul is developing for us the central story of the Bible. In Adam, paradise is lost. In Christ, paradise is regained. Adam's disobedience had led to the dissolution of the entire human race. Christ's obedience leads to its restoration. Here in the second half of Romans chapter 5, Paul explains how paradise lost in Adam is regained in Christ. And the reason that we can have the peace, the hope, and the confidence in Christ that Paul had written about in the first half of this chapter, the reason that we can have hope, peace, and confidence in Christ is that Christ has more than made up for Adam's fall and has more than made up for its fallout as well. And because you and I live in the midst of so much of that fallout, it's important for us as we go into our Lenten journey to hear what he has to say to us. Now, I don't have nice, clean points to offer you today. It's a dense paragraph. <laughs> Let me simply read three verses in the middle of the paragraph and offer some orienting thoughts. If you want to follow, but you don't have to, it's page 119 in the Pew New Testament. Romans 5, 15, 16, and 17, page 119 in the New Testament section. First, Romans chapter 5, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the gift of God and the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. For if the many died through the one man's trespass. In other words, the fall was a natural and just consequence of Adam's disobedience. They messed up and they fell. The Greeks called it decay, justice. People in the East might call it karma. What goes around comes around. But, Paul says, the free gift of God is an extraordinary manifestation in the face of that, of God's grace and his gracious gift. Karma is, karma is unkind, but karma doesn't get the last word. Second, Romans chapter 5, verse 16. And the gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin, 
For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the gift following many trespasses brings justification. Abyssus abyssum invocat, the Latin phrase meaning one misstep leads to another. Or literally, hell calls hell. So according to this verse, you know, it might have been one thing as soon as Adam and Eve messed up for God to step in and say, whoa, 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 that's not my plan. Let's get this back on track. But instead, God waits and waits and waits and waits to intervene long after the forbidden fruit has led to much more violation, much more of the tasting of forbidden fruit. God decided to step in only after, only following many trespasses. That That is to say, only after the world had become an impossibly tangled, hot mess of sinfulness. It's like this. My middle son, Bob, loves baseball. And when he was a little leaguer, he used to go around and find the discarded baseballs where the stitches had started to come undone. You know how baseballs are are made of of two uh, pieces of leather that wrap around one another and they're stitched together by some 200 200 stitches. And after the ball, ball gets knocked around after a while and maybe get rained on, the stitches start to come apart and those balls get discarded. They might wind up in the trash or they might just wind up in a field. And when they wind up on a field, my son Bob would scout them out and go find them and take them home and just start peel them all the way off so that he's got the two pieces of leather. And then he would start to unravel. And so he would unravel the string that was on the outside. And he'd ravel, 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 unravel, ravel, ravel, until he got a ball of, you have a, 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 you have a, a, a pile of string. And then he would unravel the yarn that was next inside until he had a ball of yarn. And then on the inside, there's this hard rubber ball. And then what he would try to do would, put it, would be to put it all back together. So he'd take the little rubber ball and he'd start wrap, he'd wrap the, 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 the yarn all around it and then pack it down as tight as he could. Then he'd take the string and wrap that all around it as tight as he could. And then he'd try to take the pieces of leather and put them back together. But now the thing is just so big, it's as big as a softball and it's not gonna go back together. And I remember how he was devastated the first time he realized that. Now, after that, it became fun, but like, oh, the disappointment on that poor kid's face the first time he realized he was never going to get that baseball back together again. The underside of the Bible's storyline is the unleashing of sin as a power that grows in exponential power. Once the baseball has come apart, it's not coming back together. Once a bomb explodes, can it be unexploded? Once we read his psalm today, Psalm 32, his psalm of repentance, but really once a David commits murder and spawns adulterous children who, like Absalom and Solomon, not only incarnate the father's lusts, 
sexually and politically, but create an expanding trail of grief? Can the damage ever really be undone in this life? And it's not just a Bible story, but it's the story of every great tragedy from Oedipus Rex to Macbeth to Hamlet. It's the story of every episode of I Love Lucy. You remember I Love Lucy, one of the very first sitcoms. Every story seemed to turn on Lucy misinterpreting something that Ricky says. And the next thing you know, well, like in one episode, it was the fourth episode of the whole series. Lucy's been reading a murder mystery. So when she overhears a phone conversation in which Ricky, Ricky Cardo, Ricardo, her husband, who has, runs a, uh, a nightclub and has a big act. When she overhears a phone conversation between her husband, Ricky Ricardo, explaining to his agent that he plans to get rid of her, she assumes Ricky wants to, wants to murder her. When in fact, he's just talking about eliminating a singer from his act. <laughs> she outfits herself with a bulletproof skillet <laughs> to make sure that when he comes home, he can't shoot her. And then when he tries to give her a sleeping pill to calm her nerves, she thinks he's trying to murder her. It, of course, it all finally gets resolved, and it's hilarious in a 1950s sort of way. But it works but it works because we understand that one misstep leads to another. Hell calls forth hell. And what Paul's saying is God waits till hell calls forth hell. God waits then to fix things only after they are seemingly super unfixable. And I, I know, I know that you are living with things that you feel are super unfixable. You live in a world that you're pretty, you're pretty sure nobody's gonna figure it out. So third, Romans chapter five, verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's what Christ began to accomplish when he went into the wilderness, as we read in our gospel reading this morning, to stand up to the tempter. Turn this stone into bread whispers the serpent. Humans, we have, this, we have this tendency to live only to take care of what some people call the machine, whether through food or the gym or the spa or shopping. We're like, why can't we just take care of the machine and just kind of get through? Jesus says, you can't live, you can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Life begins with listening ears, not with a full belly. 
jump off this pinnacle and let God save you. Climb up to the top of the church and leap off and give God a chance to show he's like really there. God will catch you. We humans have this amazing capacity to think that if God is there, he's there to do our bidding. We're like, will we really die if we jump? Jesus says, don't tempt him. What he means is, trust him. Worship me. Finally, the serpent coaxes. And all your dreams will come true. To get what they want, humans will prostrate themselves at the suggestion of any voice that promises glory or importance or a feeling of being loved or noticed or for some people maybe even just being left alone. But as beguiling as the serpent's voice is, Jesus says, there is only one who is worthy of worship. Everything else is less and makes you less. Your glory lies in his glory. And so as this verse maintains, death's rule will give way through the one to our rule. Right now in the present, says Paul, death reigns. Bad actors are on the stage. The wrong people seem to have the microphone and the money and the power and the influence. Death reigns because Adam forfeited his and therefore our right, our right to rule. But when all is said and done, those who receive the free gift of righteousness will reign in life. That is the hope that we have on the other end of Lent. Staggeringly, the entrance of sin into human experience will only prove in the end, we must believe this, will only prove to have brought about God's greater grace where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. I, I think you've been told before about the Japanese art kintsugi. It's a word that means literally golden repair. Kintsugi is a Japanese art in which broken pottery is repaired by mending the breaks with lacquer that's been laced with gold or some other precious metal. At the Institute for Worship Studies where I teach, one of our students named Kurt Caddy is an expert instructor in kintsugi. And this last uh, term up in Jacksonville, uh, Kurt invited uh, uh, students at IWS and, to come and participate in a kintsugi workshop. And so he had students take, take a bowl, smash it, and then put it back together with the lacquer, with the gold in between the pieces. And they were just, they're just really beautiful pictures of our lives put back broken, but then put back together by the mercy and the grace of God, a picture of redemption. 
when, when the seminar was over, one of, one of the ladies, her name was Grace, she accidentally bumped hers and it fell on the ground and went shattered once again. And she just started to come undone. And so her friend, Doris, said, you know what? She knocked hers over and let it break so that Kurt then worked with both of them to rebuild them once again. It's kind of the way it works in life. Our lives are broken. The Lord puts them back together. And so we become kintsugi pieces of art. And then they seem to get broken again. And we just wind up in this never-ending cycle. But Paul's saying it gets more beautiful every time it gets put back together. And in the end, it will be glory. With Paul's tour de force in this paragraph, he would have us know that because of what Christ has done and because he has done it for us and because he has, he has, and he has folded us into his own story, everything we have done wrong has been undone. He is with you and with me in our Lenten journey. We don't journey it alone. We journey it with him. And please understand that Paul doesn't write all this as an armchair theologian. Do you remember what we read last week? Paul talking about his own life in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. We're treated as imposters yet we're true, as unknown and yet are well-known, as dying and look, we're alive, as punished and yet not killed. Vincent Van, Gogh's, Vincent Van Gogh's favorite phrase in the Bible, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. God knows where you live. He lives there too. Every break in our lives, at the end of the day, will prove to have been lined with gold. Every discarded life will be made vibrantly whole. Every hurt we've inflicted, he will make up for. Everything that would keep us punishing ourselves, he has forgiven. He has folded into his good design every regret, every bad decision. You have to believe that on your own behalf. And the paradise that probably every one of us grew up imagining for ourselves and then eventually learned to despair of is ours in Christ Jesus. And it's on offer to everyone around us. I urge you to believe that this Lenten season. To him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even think to ask, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church now and forever. Amen.